Man, I the kid's so icy, you don't have to like me. And a throwback jersey with the throwback Nike. I know you probably seen me with cash money from back in the day. So occasionally in life you have these big, large designs meticulously laid out and executed down to the last detail. And then sometimes you'll have things just fall right into place. And that is exactly where we find ourselves here in episode number eight of the Lions 24-7 podcast. We're on the site. It is Indiana Week, previewing the Lions matchup with the Hoosiers on September 30th. And on September 30th, we found out today, Thursday, as we record, Penn State will be wearing new, well, they're not really new, they're retro uniforms, but blended that they've never worn before to showcase all different features of previous uniforms, Nittany Lion eras, teams, all that good stuff. So we're going to get into that uniform conversation, talk about Indiana, of course, recruiting update here with Sean Fitz. And then we're going to get into your mailbag questions towards the very end, as well as the commitment, which was earlier this week, but you know we haven't had a chance uh, to really discuss Dorian Hardy coming aboard as the 13th commit uh, in the Lions. Now, number four rated class? That's right. Uh, Penn State moving up the list. Uh, another big commitment from Dorian Hardy, and they're going to continue to try and steamroll this summer. Going to go into the dead period here soon, but to, we'll get to that in time. I don't think you mentioned you're Andrew Callahan. I'm Sean Fitz. Great to have you back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. And these new old uniforms look great. Uh, you know, the Penn State, you don't really ex- stray from the norm. I no. sent it to some friends, and they got back asking me what was different because, I mean, <laughs> these are Penn State uniforms. It looks like a Penn State uniform. I think they did a good job. Um, you know, you can get a little bit deeper into the – uh, the history behind every little thing, but I think it looks sharp. They had a mannequin up at the stadium, had a little press conference with James Franklin today, and you know I, I think they they didn't stray too far from you know what uh, the program was built around, and I think that's it's a tribute to that. Right, it's it's a tricky situation when you're one of the few programs left in college football that is really still playing in a throwback uniform. You know, you do this every Saturday during the season with you know the same basic blues, white pants, and, and black shoes. But you know, I, I do like the tweaks, and I think we, as you mentioned, could go into all the significance and the history and the different parts of the uniform that you know make it special and unique to Penn State. But I think it's more fun if we just stick to our favorite parts. So I'm going to go with the numbers and the helmet because you know you see that down in Alabama, but it's, it's something that's been done by multiple programs, including Penn State, in the past, and. I I think for a week, I think it, I think it's a great twist. I love it. I love it. I mean, you think back when they did it with Fermati a couple years ago. It looked great then. I love the Alabama numbers. Uh, back in the Capaletti days, of course, you, you look at his helmet, you see that 22 coming at you. I mean, that, I, I think it's a special thing. I don't think it's something that you should bring back all the time, but I think no. that absolutely that, that if you're going to go stray and go alternative uniforms, I think the numbers had to be on the helmet. I love it. And as we, you know, understood it, speaking with James Franklin today and other members of the staff that, you know, not the coaching staff, but um, from marketing and, and from equipment that were able to put these together, there were conversations initially about picking a single era, let's do a retro uniform for that and, and throw it back there. But then as the conversations evolved, it was, you know, we should really just pick different elements from different eras and put it all together in one. So yeah. behind the, the numbers on the helmet, I think my second favorite would probably be the white shoes yeah uh i love the lower body i mean just from 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 the belt down uh the stripes on the pants the socks look mm. great in my opinion those shoes i i think look phenomenal the all whites uh you know going back to the 1979 sugar bowl team uh you know what's not to like there i mean <laughs> just i'm sure somebody will pick something out don't worry about that i'm sure oh, since course. it's gone to the internet but yeah uh the cleats look great the socks look great the pants look great i i, I just i don't see too many problems with it and you know if you find problems with it you're probably looking for problems with it right right i think they did an outstanding job no word on whether this will be a continued tradition uh in the coming seasons you know everyone from franklin all the men or so the staff you know for marketing equipment had the same answer i don't know we haven't talked about it you know because the cost 
cost of this new uniform was relatively low or well within their budget, I think it would be something, in my mind, would be great to see in the years to come. You know, not the same identical uniform, but some form of throwback, mix it up a little bit, honor whatever team or era, uh, and pick a week to do that. Because, of course, you know, they have some tremendous great traditions, of course, with the Whiteout and, and others around here. But, you know, with such a place connected to its history, what better way to show that through the uniform and to do that every year when there's so much history to pick from? Yeah, and you got to give Nike something to work with here. And, uh, you know, Penn State doesn't change all that often. And and to, to give them something different, and I don't know how they're going to sell this or market this, but if you can change a little bit, give them something to, to work with, I think it's going to pay off in your Nike contract in the long term. Penn State's right now, you know, it was, was great um, when it was signed, but right now, middle of the pack, lower end of the spectrum. So if you can get up there, you're probably not going to get Ohio State dollars or, or whatever Michigan got uh, in their, their uh, apparel contract. But right. if you can get up towards those numbers, I think that's a, that's a big deal for this program. So moving on from the retro uniforms, which again, you can see them on the site. You can even cast your vote in our latest poll about how you feel about uh, said uniforms. <laughs> yeah, I love, like, gotta love those polls. Uh, as well as some backstory about how the, how the uniforms uh, came about. That's all up there on the site. Uh, in addition to that, we have some analysis in Indiana. As we mentioned, you know, the uniforms will come about for their fourth home game on September 30th, week five against the Hoosiers. And, and breaking the Hoosiers down, now they return nine starters defensively, a few, uh, less on offense. You know, the quarterback's back, they'll have a new running back, wide receiver should be outstanding. And I think defensively is where you've got to start with this team, Sean, because when you look back a year ago, Penn State, as it often found itself in the second half, was down, but 10 points on the road against Indiana. And it wasn't just by happenstance that they got there, because Indiana had multiple fumbles to that point that they lost. They lost five by game's end. But again, 24-14, to 14, they were leading. Penn State eventually comes back. Uh, and just in terms of where they were in that third quarter, what else do you remember feeling or watching about how that game had unfolded to that point? Well, I go back before that. I had Penn State losing in Indiana at, at the halfway mark in the season after, I believe it was after the Minnesota game. I uh, just wasn't sure because it was a, a road kick, you know, with that Midwest uh, feeling to it. Indiana's not a bad football team. I mean, I think I think Penn State's got the advantage, no doubt about it, but tough defense. Of course, the the coaching change is it's going to change some things up and I think that's probably the biggest thing when you're when you're scouting Indiana right now. Not really sure what to look for and how that's going to sync up, but Indiana's got some pieces in place where they're just they're not I hate to say this after we talked about your grandfather and your father's Iowa team last week or two weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. but but they they're not your father's Indiana team. They, they got yeah. some talent on that roster. Now I got to go back for one second. What's a Midwest kick or Midwest feel? What what is what does Early, that entail? Uh, anytime you go to the Midwest and have a noon kick or something like that, Penn State fans or pretty much anybody are going to talk about you know slow start on the road. Uh, okay. It's a noon kick. It's it, it's going west or whatever. So uh, it, and there's some truth to that. They it played poorly against Indiana to start. They played poorly against Purdue to start, and they've done it in the past at Northwestern. So there's something to that, but I think it's just a way of me filling space to get back to your actual analysis on Indiana. <laughs> well, no, I was just curious because, you know, when I think Midwest, you know, I think good food and I think good people. I don't know if you meant like that niceness rubs off with the defense. You know, you know, you, you want that extra yard, you got it. Well, like, you know, we're out here. The further you get away from Boston, then, you yeah, know, the better. North, the, the, northeast yeah. in general. New York is not, not full of peaches uh, quite exactly. Can't wait to have lost a couple listeners over that comment. Uh, but we move on. And, you know, talking about that defense, and I think that highlights exactly what you just mentioned. This is not your father's, your grandfather's Indiana. 
Indiana team that is just has to outscore you. And not in the sense of, you know, whoever has the most points wins, but in that we've got to outscore you on every back and forth, on every possession, so that by the end of the game, you know, our lack of defense hasn't hurt us. This is a team that a year ago, by many advanced metrics, was led by its defense. And I mentioned nine starters are back. T. Gray Scales, an All-American linebacker there. Now, they do miss Marcus Oliver, who kind of had a Garrett Sickle situation, a linebacker uh, who declared early for the NFL draft, did not get drafted. We'll have a shot, but, you know, very productive college player. And then Ralph um, Green on the inside, their nose tackle, who was outstanding a year ago. Um, you know, they're going to miss him, and particularly against the run. But Saquon Barkley had 33 carries a year ago at Indiana, 60 yards. No running back in the FBS has ever done that since at least 2000. Like, that's how good they were. And, and admittedly, Paris Palmer gets hurt early in that game. They have to jumble the offensive line a little bit. You've got some guys in different positions. But ultimately, that was a game that Indiana won decidedly up front and contained, you know, arguably now the best college, best player in college football. Like, he, no running back had ever been contained before. Right, and that's where you started to see Trace McSorley have to make those different plays and, you know, have to pull the ball out once in a while and do some things. So. I, I think in the long term, it really, really helped Penn State it, it come to, I guess, uh, come to terms as an offense when you don't have Barkley firing on all cylinders. And, you know, maybe he won't. I mean, he's most, probably the most dominant player in the Big Ten, but maybe you won't have him and you got to learn those ways around it with Ohio State on the road and some of these other games as well. So, uh, you know, I think uh, it, it was it was a good thing. You've got a picture up of Ryan Bates, and I think that's where he kind of started coming into his own. Yeah. Uh, he was still a guard at that point, but you know, it, it was sort of working his way out from just being a redshirt freshman into being the guy that uh, you knew that he could be. Right, and having to protect Trace McSorley's blind side from there on out. Now, McSorley at that point in the game at halftime, it completed fewer than 50% of his passes, eventually went on uh, to surpass that mark for the game and had a really solid second half. You know, of course, what did they do? They went downfield. So I, I think... You know, the game plan that Indiana had defensively there that worked so effectively for the better part of three quarters, I think we'll see more of that coming in week five again with these retro uniforms should be a great atmosphere because they've got a really strong secondary. Richard Fant is an excellent cornerback. 17 pass breakups a year ago. A lot of young quality talent around him uh, as well. And they blitzed better than 50% of the time at Penn State and largely got away with it. We mentioned, you know, the dominance on the ground. You know, eventually it hurt them with this downfield passing. But today, they've got to have all the confidence in the world that they can go into Beaver Stadium, given what transpired a year ago. Again, they lost five fumbles, just speaking to the defense, that they can go in and, and contain two of the best players in college football to a degree. Now, obviously, they lost 45-31. to 31, But, you know, when you look at that performance, you don't see a defense that gave up 45 points. Right. Namely, because they gave up 38. The last touchdown was Torrance Brown rumbling in with a scoop and score. Um, but it, it's a very good unit. I think it's highly underrated. They have aims of becoming a, a ranked team by the end of next season. I think it's a possibility. Offensively, they might have trouble running the ball. Um, but, you know, that core receivers, again, who we've talked about offensively and a quarterback back in his second year, they'll have a new system. But for the most part, it's going to be spread a little bit of tempo. Um, and, and they convert really well when it comes to these obvious passing downs, as they did a year ago against Penn State. I think it was like 8 of 10 on third down, where you had five or more yards to go. But if Penn State gets an early lead, it's a very different game than where we found them here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this year they get Michigan at home. They get Wisconsin at home. Could very well see in them, you know, pulling an upset in one of those games. They get Ohio State at home too, but I don't think they're going to be able to come together by August 31st. So mm -hmm. they've got a real opportunity to make some noise in the Big Ten and, and, and maybe just uh, knock some guys off their perch. Right. So last week talking about Iowa, not a lot of surprises there. I think that's a game while on the road. Penn State, you know, should be under control barring some unforeseen circumstances. Indiana, I think even though it's at Beaver Stadium, is an entirely different animal and has proven to have success against them, which of course wasn't the story for Iowa last year. 
Uh, moving on. Camps. We had another one. Uh, we missed it. We've got an- another one coming up. You will be there. Uh, players and kids to know. Yeah, didn't didn't miss much in the last uh, camp. Uh, had a, a large collection of talent, but the, I think the big ones this weekend. Penn State brings in uh, the team camp this weekend. A, a great group, I think. Just uh, you go from Harrisburg with Micah Parsons, Shaquan Anderson Butts, and some of those guys. Uh, Imhotep with uh, Sheem Young, Jesse Lukitas coming down, Nick Tarbert, and a couple of commits right there. So I, I this I think this is going to be the most talented uh, team camp they've had since James Franklin has been here. Uh, so I think they've got a real opportunity to, to get some of these kids on campus, pull them aside. When you're doing a team camp, uh, first off, they split them up. They have a seven-on-seven camp. They have a, a big man challenge. So they take the big guys over to Haluba and, and Lash and do their big man thing where mm-hmm. they you know, they, they get on the lineman drills and work with uh, with Lime Grover and Spencer and things like that. And, and they've had some good ones come through. I, they, they were the, one of the first teams to see Chase Young, who ended up a five-star uh, signing with Ohio State a couple of years ago, offer, uh, excuse me, also offered Dan and Barber that day and so they're going to have an opportunity to work with some kids uh, one-on-one in that aspect but you go to the team camp and uh, you know you play seven on seven uh, you get a chance to pull those guys aside Clareton has been a uh, a constant at Penn State the last couple of years in this team camp won it a couple times I think so you, you had a chance to get Lamont Wade out there in between games you can show him around you can talk to him we got a picture uh, you know from from the site with Lamont and Saquon Barkley and James Franklin, just kind of hobnob and everything like that. And I think that visit really made him feel comfortable and went a long way in him picking Penn state in the long run. So yep. team camp, you've got a, a really good opportunity to sort of uh, be hands off, let your coaches do your coaching thing, give a couple pointers, um, come back and, and just sort of makes guys feel at home. It's a long day. No doubt about it. They're going to get out there and they're going to be up there from the morning till uh, probably close to dark which is just uh it's, it's a really long day for those coaches but uh and especially the support staff that work those games and the refs and everything like that but man it's um it, it's one of their best opportunities probably one of the more underrated opportunities on the recruiting calendar to to make these guys uh you know see what Penn State has to offer because you're not out there on the football field you're out there on the IM fields uh, Beaver Stadium's right there you see the dorms and everything like that and so you get a little bit of chance to see how big campus is Whereas when you bring those guys in for a visit, they see the stadium, they see the football building, and you know you, you drive them around in a golf cart or whatnot. So it's an opportunity to sort of grow your brand a little bit. And I, as far as I know, I, I didn't get a number on the n- number of teams yet, but as far as I know, it's the largest team camp they've had in in, in uh, their duration of coaching here. And I think too, when you when you I would imagine from a coach's perspective, seeing these teams that it's a different dynamic and that the focus is not so much, you know, there is some evaluation to it, you know, individually getting a look at these kids, what can they do, but how do they operate within the team? You know, your interactions with other kids that you're competing with, who are teammates, kids that you're, you know, competing against. And I think that can go a long way to speaking to, you know, getting to know someone when they're not so focused and and self-aware of their own actions and how they're doing. And they're just out there playing and you can tell what they are naturally. How would they perhaps fit uh, with a Penn State? And I know you mentioned the impact that had on Lamont Wade's recruitment a year ago. Are there any guys there, you know, Ashim Young, uh, possibly Shaquan Anderson, Butts, and other target where you feel like this could have a similar effect, perhaps not to the point of getting a commitment this weekend, but, you know, really make an improvement in, in their eyes in terms of where Penn State currently stands? Yeah, they're all in on Sheem Young uh, from Philly. 
um, right at the top of the board in terms of safeties. And, you know, Penn State has been right at the top of his list for a while. So you're going to get an opportunity to spend a little bit more time with him, get him around Tim Banks, get him around Brent Pry, in addition to James Franklin. And, you know, he's been up quite a few times, I think three times this spring. The last mm-hmm. visit was for Blue White game, and he's going to be deciding in the summer. So this is a great opportunity, you know, outside of your traditional lash bash or Blue White game or just visiting for a game or a junior day or something that you can get him up and, and show him something. And you made an interesting interesting point seeing them out there. I mean, they're going to be competing, no doubt about it. I mean, there's going to be some real talent out there. There's going to be some teams out there that, you know, are regulars every year and probably don't have the talent level, uh, but they're going to be out there. We saw last year, Eater Matos was playing wide receiver and tight end and went up and made a phenomenal catch. And, um, you know, so they're going to have an opportunity to see them in different aspects uh, of their game. A couple of years ago, and this is a, a team camp story I like to go back to, Nick Bowers was there with Katanning. And I mean, he was by far the biggest kid. He probably had six inches on everybody on his team. And, you know, he just went up and started, started making play after play after play. Uh, I don't remember if he was committed to Pitt at that time or if he was about to commit to Pitt. I think he was committed to Pitt at that time. But he just went up and, and made the coaches watch him just based off of the way that he moved. And you can't tell that sometimes for guys that are playing in a place like Katanning, which doesn't even exist anymore because they had to merge schools because it was so small and, and everything. But when you're out there, you can level that playing field. You can be the guy that goes up and makes that play against somebody like a Lamont Wade or, mm-hmm. or, or like somebody that they're going against. And, you know, Terry Smith was watching him that day. Franklin came over to watch him. Uh, you know, it just everybody was right there. Ronnie was there. Gaddis was there. He made them evaluate him and it ended up that they you know moved on him late and ended up getting him in the class and you know provided he his hip gets better you know they think they got a player there so uh i think that's the biggest thing when when you're talking about team camp is not a general uh evaluation where you want him to come in and run a 40 and run a shuttle and vert and all that stuff And, and they will do that with they'll pull some of those guys out and do that but at the same time, you're seeing them compete. You're seeing where they stand on, on, on a playing field against guys their, their age and potentially at their level if they're going to be big-time uh, big players, which is obviously what Penn State's looking for. Right. Different environment, different ways to evaluate, draw out some different information and, and get perhaps pleasantly surprised, um, You know, which would obviously be the ideal situation if you're there and the staff looking to find new prospects. Um, now, in terms of old prospects who are, who are coming back, uh, some visitors that perhaps uh, you know even steadfast followers of Penn State recruiting might not expect that are actually in town this weekend. Yeah, Chris Bleich actually in town as we speak on Thursday. Uh, former commit, uh, you know, started taking some visits Mississippi State, Nebraska, Rutgers, Pitt, uh, wherever else he could. Um, he went out and and checked out these schools and Penn State. He and Penn State parted ways in April, and you know it didn't really seem like it was going to come back around, but you know Penn State. And this doesn't mean they're going to absolutely take him or it doesn't mean that that the door is going to be open again, but they they don't shut doors on on most kids. And if they shut the door, something's wrong because somebody got in trouble or something like that. But, uh, you know, when you talk about Chris Bleich, big, um, he moves decently well, probably a right tackle or a guard, big body. Um, done a great job getting down from about 340 to about 305. Um, good frame, in-state kid, so you, you don't shut the door on him. Um, you know, he's a kid that probably committed a little bit early for his own good, but he thought that he had found the the offer that he wanted and he jumped on it. Um, so, you know, he, he sort of uh, went away from that attention. That attention uh, sort of, when he was committed to Penn State, sort of uh, just flew kind of away. Mm-hmm. And then Rutgers comes back in and, and just, just these schools, these schools have a way of, uh, you know, getting guys that have been committed for so long 
you know, make them just make themselves second guess themselves because they're not getting the love that they got when they were uncommitted recruit. And that's part of the, the recruiting process that we've seen a couple of times, uh, you know, in this cycle with Penn State. So um, Bleich, uh, whether or not he comes back around, I think it's good to have that option. Um, looking at the offensive line uh, board, you still got some good ones out there, guys like Rasheed Walker, um, who I think probably ends up at Penn State in the long run. Um, so you've got an opportunity to sort of keep that fire going, whether or not you want to be full bore onto it, uh, it's hard to say. Another guy, um, pretty off the radar until we reported this a couple weeks ago, Jack Wagner from uh, – Iowa top uh, 247 kid defensive end and uh yeah I mean he's he's been he, he's kind of been everywhere Iowa Oregon LSU um so I don't think that staying in Iowa which is where the crystal ball is pointing right now is de- a definite for him so Penn State's got an opportunity to make make an impact he's got a two or three day visit coming up here um, starting on Thursday, going into the weekend. So, and if they're, he's in town when they go to visit Week Four, and yeah. it goes as last year did, you know that's got to be some sort of statement. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a, this is a kid that grew up, I believe, an Iowa fan, or um, I think he has a brother that plays for Iowa State, so he's very aware of what's going on in the college football world. So, you got an opportunity to sort of, uh, you know, maybe maybe even last year's victory may have turned his eyes or turned his head or whatnot. So, um, you got an opportunity. He's a, he's a premier player. He's a four-star kid. He's a kid with a frame that Penn State has had a lot of uh, experience with and had a lot of success with. So yeah, you never know. You get a visit out of it and you let it get them to stay a couple days. Obviously, it's not the easiest place in the world to get uh, from Iowa, but uh, at the same time, you know, as crazier things have happened. So I think Penn State can, can really put themselves in a decent position right here. Speaking of defensive linemen, Dorian Hardy mentioned him at the outset. A four-star prospect is now aboard for Penn State, commit number 13. We talked about him plenty on the site in terms of breakdown, what he brings to his game, you know, where he had stood with Penn State and Penn State with him. So in terms of his ceiling now, moving forward, you know, your, your final thoughts here, because again, I've, I've gone through my breakdown. People can find what I think. Yeah, he's the second first defensive line commit in this class for yeah. Penn State uh, after Micah Parsons. But Hardy's a guy that, uh, you know, was on the radar very, very early, got the Alabama offer, got the Clemson offer. And, you know, when you get those, it's uh, you're kind of under the microscope. And, you know, Penn State did a good job. They got him on campus a couple times last summer, um, got him comfortable with everything around here. And, you know, I think the attention sort of went away from him from those bigger schools uh, as the season went on. Not a ton out there on his junior uh, tape or whatnot, but Penn State stayed on him. I uh, don't know that he had the opportunities that he had, uh, you know, back when he was a sophomore or whatnot, but Penn State did a great job making him a priority. Um, you know, still had the opportunity to, to go a number of places, but, uh, you know, got back to Penn State this spring for the spring game, got back here. I think having his mom in town was just a big, big deal for him. And, always is. And, yeah, mom's always right. But uh, getting getting him back into town and, and comfortable with that drive and comfortable with, uh, you know, the distance from home. And, and uh, I think, you know, Penn State's got themselves an athlete with a huge growth potential. I mean, this kid is a lot bigger than I thought he was. Um, he's he's six five. He's actually about two thirty five, which is down from about two fifty five um, last year. So don't know that he's the interior guy that we've talked about in the mm-hmm. past being long term. So I think he's a defensive end right now. Um, but yeah, he's he's got one of those huge uh, sort of like Buckholtz Ryan Buckholtz type bodies that can handle. Uh, 265, 270 pounds and set the bookend and, and probably stay as a defensive end. So uh, a lot of potential there. Four-star kid, um, pretty quiet kid personally. I mean, he, I haven't really talked to him a ton, but, uh, you know, he's been pretty quiet about uh, recruiting and everything like that. Has, I think he's handled things very well the right way. 
And, um, you know, I think he's, he's going to be an asset to Penn State's class. Uh, we talked about it last week. E.J. Barthel um, is, is a guy that uh, has a lot of contacts with, uh, with Jersey kids. Um, and, and people have noticed that he's on staff. You saw that at the camps. Uh, a lot of guys from North Jersey coming in. Hardy, I uh, don't know if he had contact with, with him beforehand, but, mm-hmm. you know, he got him on campus. He was, he was a guy that really uh, looked to while he was on campus. So, um, you know, Penn State, uh, I think they've got a good one, and they're going to try and uh, build that offense, or excuse me, build that defensive line class out from there, probably take five total, uh, whether it be ends, tackles, what have you. So I had a piece on the site earlier this week where we broke down the targets, and, you know, Penn State, I think, is sitting in a position where, you know, they don't outright lead for a ton of kids, but they really have an opportunity to put together, I think, what could be an elite defensive line class. Right. Now, defensive linemen uh, who scheduled to come in in a couple weekends, we've learned, will not. Uh, Damian Barber speaking to Audrey Snyder, DK Pittsburgh Sports, uh, in practice leading up to the Big 33 game, says he's going to report in late July, has to take a couple of classes, has graduated from Harrisburg officially, but will be at least a month behind the eight ball. You know, long term, you know, if, if he gets there in July and is able to come in and develop and, and participate with all of his you know, soon-to-be classmates, I don't think it, make it makes a huge difference. A kid who is likely destined to be a redshirt. Um, but nonetheless, you know, if you're him or you're Penn State, something that you wouldn't want have crop up at this stage in the summer. Yeah, this is something, it was something we've been talking about for a few weeks in, in the chats and things like that with Barber. Um, you knew that he probably wasn't going to be here in June. And for a kid like that coming out of a place like Harrisburg, you'd love to have him on campus. Not so much for the opportunity to play football uh, in August when camp starts, but the opportunity to sort of feel out the climate for the school, to, to, to get familiar with the campus, to get going on an academic start more so than an athletic start. And I think that that's probably going to be something that they want to, um, you know, hammer home when he gets, uh, when he plans to get here in July. So uh, it's not the best news for Penn State, but you, you just want to get him in at, the, at this point. Uh, you can point guys in that right direction. Uh, he's got some classes he's got to take. He's got some, some work that he's got to get done. So, um, yeah, and I don't think it's a huge, huge, uh, slight on the kid or anything like that. No. He did graduate high school. I mean, this is, this is something where he's got to pull that, that core up and, and get things going in the right direction from that standpoint. So you want to get this going, um, back to, uh, back to focus on, on the football for a second. You want to get this going where he can get in, uh, maybe take it easy for the first couple of weeks of camp. Cause he probably will be a red shirt kid and, and, and then get him going back on the academic side of things. Right. Uh, so that was the latest news to come out from this week. We have a very small mailbag. Barber was included in those questions, but this is the big one. And we touched upon this last week with the decommitment of Justin Fields. Where does Penn State go from here? You know, all the listed targets uh, that you had out there, you know, are really where people should look in terms of where Penn State might go. Um, I, I'm only seeing a couple of these guys. Quincy Patterson, the Virginia Tech commit, you know, stands out obviously for athleticism, the early interest there. You know, for me, if I'm Penn State, looking at his direction would, would be, you know, the ideal scenario to somehow get him back on board. But, you know, obviously he's not the only one out there. And there, you know, are some other um, developments still to come that will affect where they go from here. Yeah, and I don't think you can count on Patterson at this point. He's been a pretty solid Virginia Tech uh, commit. He said the right things. And they, they might work the back channels and try and get him, you know, to, to take an official visit or something like that. But uh, the guys that we point to right after that, Jace Reuter, um, quarterback out of Kansas, and, and Devin Leary, who's committed to NC State from, from Jersey, uh, they were the first three guys that we had up on our board right away, and uh, surprisingly, and, and this rarely ever happens, those those are the top three guys. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's um, it was it was pretty crazy how that came together. But uh, 
excuse me, I got to pat myself in the back here, but no, I, I, dirt I, on the shoulder. I think the, um, I think that's, that's probably what you're looking for. You're looking for somebody a little bit more athletic. Um, I'm not saying you're looking for a trace or a Tommy clone, but somebody that's got to move around in the pocket. It's got to make these quick read decisions. And, uh, I think Reuter was the first guy they looked to, uh, offered him over the weekend, I believe. And, um, Basically got to keep him from committing to North Carolina or somewhere else along the way as he travels to Florida State, Georgia, and North Carolina this weekend. So, uh, you know, you, you got to keep him or you got to get him interested. You got to get him on campus, which is not going to be easy for, with him coming from Kansas. So, uh, you know, you, you basically have to throw that offer out just to, 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 to turn his eyes towards you and say, hey, this is a potential uh, offense that I could run, that I could fit in. So, right. yeah, so I think that, you know, you're going to see that effort focused on Reuter right now. And, and, and if that doesn't work out, you know they've been talking to Leary a little bit, so I think he sort of moved on down the road. I don't think there's a big rush. Um, you don't need to fill that position right away. You kind of got to see where you're at with Justin Fields, and you know I, I know people say that you know he's gone or whatnot, and he very well may be, but you still got to take that opportunity, see if you can get him back on campus, and and recapture that feeling he had when he committed. So uh, I think quarterback recruiting probably a long way uh, to go now. Uh, don't know that we'll see. Uh, um, a, a resolution by the beginning of the season, but uh, you know you want to get these guys on campus. You want to set up your ducks in a row and see what you've got. Quarterbacks typically guys who wear the numbers uh, from one to nineteen. We went through one through nine in this roster, and a couple guys as you've been doing the series by the numbers. Expectations for each guy in the roster. One through nine done. Ten to nineteen now the focus. And instead of going through each one, we, we picked three contributors of, of varying levels. Grant Haley is going to be a starter. Garrett Taylor. Shouldn't, barring injury, uh, Jonathan Holland, big of improvements from this spring, but again, should probably be on the bench as a second option behind Mike Kosicki. Haley's interesting to me in that his role obviously shifted once John Reed went down, and as soon as he did, we saw more action for him in the slot, which is where Reed took over a year ago in those nickel and dime packages. It's not something that Haley's never done before. It's just been a little while, and he said he shook off the rust pretty quickly. But I think he becomes as critical as Marcus Allen might be in the safeties, which sounds crazy because they've got decent depth. But where he fills in, both in the slot, at the field corner spot, and, and how much he brings from a veteran leadership standpoint, you know, is so essential now without Reed. Yeah, and it's insane to think that Grant Haley, who was one of James Franklin's first commits in that 2014 classes, is now a senior. I mean, he still yeah. feels like a sophomore. I mean, he's been, he just feels like a, a real flash in the pan as, as far as he's been here. But anyway, getting back to Grant Haley, uh, the interesting thing there is what do you do with th- your third and fourth corners? Because Haley is a guy that can play outside. He can play inside. Um, you got Campbell at the other side who's an outside guy. You've got Lamont Wade who's a nickelback potentially can play on the outside as well. And then Amani Oriwari um, is probably an outside guy as well. So you've yeah. got options. And I think Haley is your most flexible guy and can really probably allow you to do the most if you're going to play in nickel, dime, or, or penny or whatnot. And I think uh, <laughs> you've got um, you've got an opportunity for him to – I don't know if that he's going to get his hands on the ball. He's, he, he hasn't played the ball particularly well, uh, especially down the field. He's a little bit smaller. But I, I don't know if he's going to get the pick numbers, but he can certainly get in there. He can mix it up. He can tackle as a corner. He can, he can make the breakups. And I think he'd be a very big player for you, as you mentioned – 
as important as Marcus Allen, that's tough for me to say because Marcus Allen, I think, is going to be a linchpin for this defense, but he's going to be as important as anybody at that cornerback position. Right, and the flexibility you mentioned that he offers, no one else can do that. And let's say, you know, high expectations for Lamont Wade really showed out in the spring. Nonetheless, a true freshman, if there are struggles there or an injury and they lose one of the three guys behind Haley and then for whatever reason he goes as well, they're in a tight spot uh, for a variety of reasons. Of course, you know, that's assuming a lot. Uh, we can safely assume that Garrett Taylor is probably not going to see a whole lot of action at safety, competition ongoing. Your three main guys, Aaron Monroe, Troy Apke, and Nick Scott, who's going to play opposite Marcus Allen, uh, but certainly should contribute on special teams. And In his eyes, while focused on the season, it should be a very good one to Penn State. 2018 could be an opportunity to really contribute. Yeah, I think so. You've got Apke and Allen moving out of there, so you're going to have some some things going on at safety where you can make the two deep. Taylor, uh, I think it was asked of you this week if he'd move back to corner with the reading injury i don't see that happening i just see taylor staying right uh staying at safety for the time being um i think he's got an opportunity to learn the position and and set himself up for the future and in addition to that turn some heads on special teams Mm -hmm. when i talked to tim banks earlier this spring he he mentioned how important it was for guys like aaron monroe and nick scott to make those special teams play to get noticed by the coaches and and show what you can do as a position player Taylor was a kid that came in, a top 100 kid, or or close to it at least, Under Armour All-American, coming off the knee injury, and that's just so tough to come back from, and and it's really unfortunate when you see um, you know how much that has probably cost him in his career so far. Because you you go back to his junior film, explosive guy, a uh, guy that uh, was committed to Michigan at first, and and, mm-hmm. and then ended up uh, going separate directions with Michigan and ended up at Penn State. And he was a top 100, top 200 guy for a reason. I mean, this guy this guy can play some football. Um, but yeah, I think that knee has been something to work back from. He says he's healthy now. Um, you, you hope that's true, but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's more than just a, what, eight to 12 month recovery any more than, than what you see. You're going to have to work back, get to the speed of the game. And then once again, deal with the guys that have probably passed you in that time on the depth chart. Absolutely. Last but not least, John Holland, number 18, again, mentioned outstanding spring, really turned a corner, echoes of a lot of what we heard from Mike Kosicki a year ago, and not in terms of expectation or where he'll stand on the two deep, but a, a maturation really on the field, habits off the field, and that's translated so far. I think, you know, from, from our discussions that they're looking to get Mike Kosicki, who played more snaps of any skill position player uh, for Penn State a year ago, a little bit more rest. Garbage time will naturally produce that, but the event that Penn State, you know, plays in closer games than anticipated, um, you know, you should see some time here for John Holland to be able to contribute, you know, and block as well as he's proven himself an option in the receiving game. Yeah, it's actually one of the more underrated uh, battles that I would look for if Nick Bowers is healthy, whether or not it's Bowers or Holland. Holland made tremendous strides in the in the spring. I don't know if there was anybody more improved on the offensive side of the ball uh, sans Juwan Johnson, who we haven't talked about, believe it or not. Juwan Johnson. Yeah. Rings a, rings a bell. Yeah. So uh, Holland has, has really made strides. And I think you touched on it. You didn't really say it. But off the field, I think, is the biggest thing. Kind of a knucklehead coming in. And there was a couple in that class that uh, uh, you know could use some time to mature uh, off the field. And I think he really... Uh, you know, got that message. And with them keeping Mike Jasicki out in the spring, he had all the opportunity in the world, really made the most of it. Had a great blue-white game. Um, so, really good. Yeah, so I, I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, it's going to be a drop-off from Mike Jasicki, no doubt. But, you know, uh, Jasicki, he goes down the field. He runs a lot of routes, uh, plays a lot of reps. So you want to get him uh, a little bit of rest. I think you've got uh, less of a drop-off now than you did last year going down down to Tom Pancoast. 
So that'll just about do it. This has been episode number eight of the Lions 24-7 podcast. Um, we are going to wrap up this month with episode nine next week and number 10, uh, which will be Michigan week. This has almost you know, not quite been flying by because June never does, but that's where we'll end. We'll take a quick break. I'm going to have to head out on vacation. Selfish me. Going to have to, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Poor guy. Recharge the batteries. I mean... That's what we heard, uh, you know, from from Franklin even the presser today. Suggestions of uh, taking that vacation. I don't think anyone needs to push out the door to, to go to the beach. But, uh, my life's a vacation. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> Nonetheless, I'll be away. That's the point here. Uh, and then back around the time of Lift for Life, Archfest, all that good stuff. But we still have two podcasts until then. Uh, Northwestern week coming up. Get uh, get excited. More uh, updates from camp. Can't wait. Thanks for listening. We're on iTunes, on Stitcher. Please review us. Stars matter as always. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Thank <laughs> you.